welcome to Mission Church Las Vegas podcast. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and hope that you will consider joining us in person next Sunday in the northwest part of Las Vegas. You can find out more about Mission at our website, missionlasvegas.com. 1 John chapter 2, starting verse 28 and following. So now, little children, remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has put his hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is John and I serve Mission Church as a lead pastor and I'm honored and I'm excited to be with you this morning, especially in this context. Um, Our mission and vision here at Mission Church is to partner with God, to see His kingdom come here in Las Vegas as it is in heaven. And we do this as we love Jesus, live like Jesus, and lead others to Jesus. This morning, we're going to take a brief pause, as you may have noticed from the scripture reading. We've been in a series through the Psalms, Um, but we're taking a pause this morning, this past week as I prepared for this this morning, um, in time of talking and meeting with those uh, of you in the room, there's this uh, idea that we need to discuss the hope and the confidence that we as believers have in Jesus, a hope that impacts our average, average, everyday, ordinary life. And many of us have been asking questions due to the things that are happening in society and in our families and, and in our community. Is, 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 I, is my faith secure? Is my salvation secure? And so, In regards to some of those questions and counseling flowing around, I thought it would be good for us just to take a pause in our series in Psalms and look at 1 John at the end of chapter 2. And so if you haven't already, grab your Bible, open it up to 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. The letter of 1 John, the author, John, is addressing an issue within the church. You see, there are some false teachers that have infiltrated the church and they were stirring up hostility. They were deceiving the faithful in Christ. And as you can imagine, John writes with a passion. He writes with an urgency not only to correct these errors, but also to give hope, to give assurance to those who have been faithfully pursuing a life that loves Jesus, lives like Jesus, and leads others to Jesus. Now our text this morning is going to offer us a sense of confidence, assurance. And I think we can all agree that those are things that we need more of. Assurance, confidence, security. Especially as we pursue Jesus, as we pursue a life of holiness in a world that's so confused and broken and evil. Now, to accomplish this end, our text is first going to poke and prod at our hearts a little bit, requiring us to ask a diagnostic question. What are you currently putting your hope in? What are you placing your hope in? Tell me, in life, in relationship, who or what are you trusting in for peace and joy and security and confidence? 
Now, before we answer these questions, before we dive into our text, let's take a moment and pray together. Would you join me? God, we thank You for Your love and Your grace. And as we sit under the counsel of Your Word now, would You soften our hearts? Our hearts have a way of building calluses, whether it's due to sin, unrepentant sin, unbelief. Lord, you soften our hearts so that we can have a greater understanding of Your character in light of Your holiness and Your goodness. Lord, would You help us to see our reality and our sin? Would You lead us to repentance and faith for those in the room who have trusted in You as Lord and Savior? Would You give them assurance today? Would You give them confidence? Would You help them to find rest? Lord, I pray that this passage would be a warm blanket for the soul. For those who have not trusted in You as Lord and Savior, would You convict them and lead them to repentance so that they could find the ultimate joy and life and peace in You. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart would be pleasing in Your sight. You're my rock and my Redeemer, and I love You and I thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen. There are not many sure things in life. There's an old saying that goes... The only thing that's sure is what? Death and taxes. (laughs) You see, death is an inescapable reality. These past few years have shown a spotlight on that reality. Many who once weren't so aware of this reality, even if they are not followers of Jesus, are more aware now than they ever have been. The truth is that you and I, and I usually wait till later and our time together to kind of give these gut-wrenching realities, but I love you too much not to do this because this is imperative for our time together this morning. But there is a truth, and that truth is that you and I are are going to die. Good morning. Welcome to Mission Church. You can be as health-conscious as you want. You can flood your body with antioxidants and vitamins. You can run and do CrossFit every day. You can, not me. You can eat free-range and organic and gluten-free all you want. You can do all that. But there's an inescapable reality is that you and I are still going to die. It's coming. And the truth is, is that we don't know when. We don't know the day. We don't know the time. The Bible says that our life is a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. We're not promised the next hour. We're not promised the next day. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be in 50 years. We don't know. Now, there's another truth here that is also very important. Not only are we going to die and we don't know when, but there is another truth that we are looking forward to. One that we have placed our hope in. And that is Jesus is coming back and we don't know when. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. In other words, We don't know when Jesus is returning. But we know He is returning. Now considering this amazing truth that Jesus is returning, how should that impact your priorities? Your everyday. How does it impact where you place your hope? Where you place your trust? Now the bulk of humanity puts their hope in this. Well, I am a good person. And my My answer to that is compared to what? Do you really believe that God is going to give you whatever goodness the afterlife holds because you're not as much as a jerk as the guy in the cubicle next to you at work? 
Is that where you're putting your hope? If that's you, the thing that you don't understand about the Bible is this. The scary thing is not that God simply judges our wickedness. He does and He will. But the scary thing is that the Bible compares our good deeds to filthy rags. See, according to Scripture, it's our goodness that falls short, not just our wickedness. Do you see why we need a Savior? Do you see why Jesus came to pay your bill? It's because all of our good deeds are filthy before Him. There is nothing that you and I can do within ourselves to solve the problem of sin and death. We can't be good enough, smart enough, religious enough. So my question again is this. This morning, right now, if you were to take a step back and survey your life, where are you placing your hope? Where does your hope lie? Is it in doing the best you can with the life that you've been given? Is your hope found deep within yourself your intellect, your good deeds, your religious, moral acts, your truth? Or is your hope found in what Jesus has accomplished for you? For some of us, this is a tough question because it breaks through our religious veneer. It breaks through our masks and cuts right to the core. And how you answer this question ultimately will shape how you live your life. So tell me, What are you hoping in, trusting in, believing in, for security, for salvation? I have an unhealthy fear of police officers. I'm just confessing to you. Yeah, and so the other day, actually it was a couple years ago, it's not the other day, but we were driving home and there was a police officer on a motorcycle following me. And I don't know what it is, but I always, uh, I talked to a friend of mine who was a police officer and he says it's a real thing, it's called... um, Something fever. Like it's a real, a real thing. I don't, I don't know. Anyways, I get nervous. I start shaking. I start sweating. I don't know what it is, but I, I don't like it. And he followed me into the neighborhood. He followed me down the street. He parked behind us as I pulled into my driveway. And at that point, I'm losing it. And my wife is like, what's wrong? Calm down. It's okay. You didn't do anything, did you? And I'm like, no, but why is he here? Like, I don't get it. I was really upset and nervous. I get out of the car and he walks up to me and he begins to talk to me about our next door neighbor and he says, do you know who lives here? And I go, yeah, they're crazy, man. And I start just sharing all this stuff. Like, there's a whole bunch of people in and out of there. I don't know what's going on. You really should check it out. And uh, he's like, I'm not on duty. He goes, I own the house. I'm trying to get an HOA form signed. (laughs) And I was sweating. He was laughing. My wife was embarrassed. It was a mess. And later she asked me, why were you so scared? Why did you have so much shame and fear? Did you do something wrong? Like, why were you so terrified? And it made me think. It made me think of my relationship with God. Close your eyes for a minute and picture yourself. Imagine yourself standing before Jesus. He has returned and you're standing face to face with the living God. How do you feel in this moment? Are you scared? Are you nervous? Are you full of shame as the mistakes of life flood your mind? Or are you confident? Are you secure? Are you in love and excited to be with Jesus? Open your eyes. I bring up these thoughts because this is what John is addressing in our text. In verse 28, John is reminding us that Jesus is returning and that you and I, (coughs) excuse me, you and I can have confidence. 
you and I can stand before Him secure and excited, unlike me that afternoon getting out of the car. Look at verse 28. John chapter, 1 John chapter 2. You guys doing okay? Alright. So now, little children, remain in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. This phrase, when He appears, it speaks to this end times. It's pointing us to the day when Jesus returns. A time when every person will stand before God and answer how they lived, how they loved, whether or not they trusted and believed in Jesus, whether or not they kept His Word. And verse 28 makes it very clear that on that day, there will be people who are confident and unashamed. And then there will be people who are full of fear and full of shame. And John is telling us, if you want to be confident on that day, you need to remain in Him. But what does that mean? What does it mean to remain in Him? How do we know if we are in fact remaining in Him? Well, look at verse 29, because John defines this for us very clearly. If you know that He is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of Him. Now, when John uses this word if, you can underline, circle it, he is not unsure, he is not uncertain, but rather this word if in the context of verse 29 really means since. So in other words, since we know that Jesus Himself is righteous, then we also know that all who have born, been born again through Christ should be righteous as well. Like father, like son. If you have children... You hope that they will act like you in some cases. In most cases, you hope that they will act better than you. For better or worse, though, our children often imitate our actions. In the same way, the world ought to know that you are in the family of God by the way you live and how you love, how you talk, your actions, your priorities. As Christians, we should pursue a life that loves Jesus, lives like Jesus, leads others to Jesus, that pursues a life that is a reflection of Christ's character. In other words, we should live up to our name. Reminds me of when I was a kid. There was a time when I visited some of my father's extended family, people that I had never met before, but yet they knew my dad when he was young. And I remember very distinctly when they met me, they looked right at me and with a Long, slow Oklahoma draw, and they said, Boy, you look just like your daddy. And in verse 29, John has essentially given us the same comments. He's saying, You look just like your daddy. He's saying, If you're born of God, your character will begin to change. You will begin to look like God because there's a family resemblance. God's righteous character is reproduced in you. With this in mind, understand the wording of verse 29 is extremely important and we cannot miss this. Notice, it does not say everyone who does what is right will be born of Him. That's out of order. It does not say everyone who is really, really good will earn the right to be born of Him. No. If you have believed in Jesus, if you have surrendered to your life, your life to Jesus as Lord, then you have been born of God. And as a result, we pursue a life that reflects Christ, a life that looks and loves like Christ. You see, the divine birth is something that's accomplished by God. God is the source. He is the originator. He is the one who causes this new spiritual birth to take place. Think about it like this. What did you do 
to assist in your physical birth? Nothing. In the same way, you do nothing to bring about your new spiritual birth. Faith in Jesus Christ is the condition in which God saves you. And the crazy thing is, is that faith itself is a gift given to you by God. There is nothing in and of yourself that you can muster up. You can't all of a sudden develop faith in Christ. That is a gift that He gives us. Brothers and sisters, your salvation was initiated by God, not you. And now our practice of right living gives evidence to the world and assures our hearts that we have truly been born into the family of God. But here's the deal when it comes to assurance and confidence. How do you think I felt when people looked at me when I met my dad's family? And they said, boy, you look just like your daddy. Well, I had two responses. First off, I didn't think I looked all that much like him. And so I was kind of confused by that. I don't know about you, but when I get to verses like verse 29, and rather than gain confidence, there's moments when I lose confidence. Because there's days when I fail at loving and living like Christ. It's in those moments of failure when I start to think of righteousness in a perfect and absolute sense. And if if, if I'm supposed to live righteously like Jesus is righteous, then there can't be any failure in my life. And then I look at all my failure and I look at my flaws and I look at the difficulty that I had and I look at the fact that I, I got a little upset with my kids and I, I yelled and I shouldn't have and I and I, I didn't like I begin looking at my failures and my flaws and I begin to think, man, that's is not measuring up. And I don't know about you, but in that exact moment I start looking to myself rather than to Christ. I begin to look at my goodness rather than Christ's goodness. I start to lose confidence in that moment when I look to myself. I start to lose assurance that God loves me and accepts me. Because I begin looking at my own righteousness rather than Christ's. The truth is that there's two groups of believers in this room this morning. Those who are confident in their relationship with Jesus and those who are not. So how can we as believers live confidently in our relationship with Jesus? Those moments and days when my flaws and failures ring in the back of my mind, how can I, as a friend of Jesus, how can I have confidence and assurance? Well, consider what John writes in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So the question is begging to be asked, who... Is it that has the Son? If those who have the Son have life, well, who has the Son? Well, it's those who have believed in Him. If you have Jesus, you have life. Not temporary life, but eternal life. God wants us to have assurance of our salvation. God wants us to be confident in our relationship with Jesus. We shouldn't live our Christian lives wondering if we are secure Worrying each day whether or not we are truly saved. That's why the Bible makes the plan of salvation so clear. Paul writes in his letter to Romans, to the Romans, in Romans 10 verse 9, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So answer me this. Have you repented of your sins? 
Have you recognized that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and turned from your sins? Do you believe that Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sins and that He rose from the grave? Have you surrendered to Jesus as the Lord of your life, no longer looking to yourself, but looking to Him for salvation? Do you trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation? If your answer to these questions is yes, then you are saved. You can have the assurance of your salvation. You can live free from doubt because you know that just as there was nothing that you did to save yourself, there's nothing that you can do to lose your salvation. Brothers and sisters, by taking God's Word to heart, you can have no doubt about the reality of your eternal salvation. Now, the second thing I thought when my extended family said to me, boy, you look just like your daddy, even though I didn't think I looked all that much like him, when people said that to me, I had a little bit of confidence. A little, over, a little overwhelming security that came across me. That he was my dad, and it gave me confidence that I belonged to him. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, the first part, to see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. All of our assurance, all of our confidence of our salvation comes from the truth that God has a great love for us. You see, our salvation is not rooted in our good deeds or our moral acts. Rather, our good deeds are the fruit of our salvation, but the root of our salvation from written from which that fruit grows is from the truth that a perfect God with a perfect love has loved us extravagantly and lavishly. And He has poured out His grace upon us. And the demonstration of God's love for you is seen in His Son who lived a perfect life, a life that you and I cannot and have chosen not to. And He died the death that you and I deserve because of our sin. And He took it upon Himself And He rose from the grave defeating sin, Satan, and death. That's where our hope lies. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. God loved you first and He proved it by sending His Son on a search and rescue mission. How awesome is that? How unbelievable is that? And I have to think that as John was writing this letter to the church who was struggling with some of these issues of assurance, and as he was writing to clear up some of the errors that were being made in the church regarding salvation, I have to imagine that John is leaping out of his seat with excitement. He's astonished. I think John is staggering under the weight and the preciousness and the glory of this realization that a great God with an incomparable Incomparable love is inviting us into a relationship and friendship with Him. I think John's blown away. I think he's overwhelmed that we would even be called children of God given that we were once His enemies and rebels despite our rebellion, despite our sin, that Jesus would die in our place and through faith we would receive grace and forgiveness and that we would be called children of God and not just be called it, as some pseudo-title, but that we would actually be children of God. Church, listen to me. It's no light thing to be called a child of God given the great sacrifice and the great depths 
the great cost, the extreme measures that God has gone through to adopt us as His sons and daughters, that God in His great love would decide not to smash us as rebels, but rather adopt us. And that's why John is writing this letter from a place of amazement. He's essentially saying, can you believe it? Look at this. This is amazing. Look at the amazing love of God that He would call us His children. Friends, this is the transformation that takes place through the Gospel. We move from enemies to children. Being a a child of God is a huge deal. And this truth, we should not take it lightly. Especially, as I said, considering the cost that Jesus paid. And also because not everyone knows Him. Not everyone is His child. Look back. 1 John 3, verse 1. He says, the reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know Him. John makes this clear a few verses down in verse 8. He says, the one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. The fact that we are children of God is amazing because it means that for those who have believed in Jesus, we have been adopted not just into God's family, but out of The devil's family. Do you notice that from the text? You either belong to the devil or you belong to God. There's no in-between. You're in one family or the other. And the moment you surrendered your life to Jesus, you were rescued out of your sin, out of your rebellion, and you were brought into an intimate relationship with Jesus. And do not miss this truth that if you make a practice of sinning, and what that means is purposefully, intentionally, willfully sinning, knowing that it's wrong and doing it day after day after day, if you live a life where you choose to sin, then John is saying, most likely, Jesus is not your Lord and Savior and you have not surrendered to Him. For in our sin, we will grieve our sin. It will lead us to repentance. We will mourn our sin for those who are in Christ. Now maybe you've yet to believe in Jesus or maybe you uh, believe that He existed, but you're yet to fully surrender your life to Him as your Lord. Maybe the offer of complete forgiveness and the adoption into the family of God sounds too good to be true because it is quite staggering, isn't it? That God would channel all His love through one thing. Trusting in Jesus alone for salvation. And maybe you're thinking, how does a guy who died 2,000 years ago give me forgiveness today? Why would God forgive me and adopt me, but not first require anything of me? Maybe it's thoughts like these that are keeping you from surrendering your life to Christ. Could I propose a few thoughts? There's three reasons why God does not require you first to earn a forgiveness and adoption and salvation. First one is because we're sinners. You and I don't have it in us. We don't have it in us to accomplish this task. We are broken and we need a Savior. Two, God doesn't require you to do anything to earn His forgiveness and adoption because He loves you. I have three beautiful kids. 
And there's nothing that they need to do to earn my love. And I have an imperfect love. With the perfect and divine love of God, He requires nothing of His children to earn His love. My love for my kids is minuscule in comparison to the great, lavish love that God has for His children. And finally, the reason why God does not require anything of you to earn His salvation is because Jesus has already taken care of it. Everything that God requires of you, Jesus took upon Himself. He completed it on your behalf. Jesus gives us all the righteousness, all the holiness. Jesus suffered and paid the punishment in our place so that you might be saved by grace, through by grace alone. Faith alone. There is nothing missing in the life and the sacrifice of Christ. He fulfilled all that God required for you to be forgiven and adopted into His family. This is such good news. And John doesn't even stop there. Look back up to verse 2 of 1 John 3. (laughs) Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies Him just as He is pure. And notice this phrase, what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. John is essentially saying that our salvation through the Gospel of Jesus Christ is more than a rescue. It is, but it's more than that. It's a complete, utter transformation. A transformation that transcends what any human words can describe. Here's what we know. First off, We are God's sons and daughters right now. In this moment, if you have trusted in Jesus for salvation, in this moment, you are His son or daughter. You are in the fullest sense the one that God created you to be. The one He's redeemed you to be. And secondly, secondly, what we will be, the text says, is not completely known to us at the present time. We don't know. John is speaking of a tension here. A tension within our friendship with Jesus. There is a tension that some scholars refer to as the already, not yet, which encompasses a lot in that idea. But in this text, it means that we're already children of God, but we're not yet fully grown and mature. We haven't grown up yet. We're in the process of growing into Christ-like character. And that will not be a process that's complete until we stand before God at the end of our days. And we will see Him as He is in all His glory, in all His splendor. And when we stand before Him face to face in that moment, the text says that we will become like Him. Into that same glory. Into that same splendor. And so I'll close like I started. Where are you placing your hope? What are you currently placing your hope in? Because the friend of Jesus, the root of their hope, is found in the fact that one day they will stand face to face with their Savior. The one they love. That's where their hope is rooted. And in that moment, they will enter into God's glory and the splendor of God. Now why is that the root of our hope? Because everything we do, serving others, forgiving others, the putting off of sin, the pursuit of a life that reflects Jesus, every hurt, every pain, all of your suffering is designed by God to prepare you for the moment 
when you stand before Jesus. This reminds me of what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. You guys doing okay? Hang with me. We're almost there. Some of you are going through some things and this will be helpful. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, for all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Paul is making a connection here between our adoption as children of God and our suffering in the world that we live in. And the glory that we will one day experience. Suffering speaks to all the suffering we experience in our, in our day, in our world, in our everyday life, in our and whether it's disease or loneliness, death, loss, injustice, broken relationships, depression, anxiety, you can go down the list as we share in um, Christ's sufferings, this says. All of it. For God's children, this suffering is leading us to a greater glory. There's purpose in our suffering. As we share in Christ's suffering and as we endure the sufferings of this world, God is preparing us to share in the glory of Christ when He comes. Here's the reality. Some of us are going through some junk this morning and maybe you don't know Jesus and maybe you're thinking that God is unhappy with you because of what you're going through. Maybe you think that if you were in God's will, nothing bad would happen to you. But that is a bad understanding of a relationship with Christ. And that thought process may be robbing you of hope this morning. So the question that we have to ask now is how can I endure suffering without losing hope? And to answer that, let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. It says, therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Does it feel like you're wasting away this morning? Because Paul wants you to know what's really happening is that you're inwardly being renewed. For our momentary, verse 17, our momentary light affliction is producing for us Underline that, producing for us an absolute, incomparable, eternal weight of glory. Notice the structure of this sentence, the subject, our affliction. And the verb is producing for us. God is saying that your suffering is working for you. It's preparing you for a glory that far outweighs anything that this world has to offer. In verse 18, so we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. This is the transforming hope. This is what John is referring to in our text. And this hope, it changes our outlook. It changes our perspective and our priorities. Because as a friend of Jesus, I know that Jesus is restoring and He's returning. And on that day, we will see Him. And on that day, we will be like Him. And the glory that we share will be far greater than any suffering that we may experience in our life. And so today we can stand in the midst of difficult circumstances and we can look to Christ and we can endure because we have hope. A hope that's rooted in a coming Jesus who is bringing a kingdom where there is no more sickness, no more betrayal, no more disease, no more pain. A kingdom where there is only light and life 
and love, and it will make this place look like the deepest darkness. And all of our suffering works to our glory. This is the very definition of our hope that we have in Christ. And our natural response to that hope is found in 1 John 3. 3. And I'm going to quote a pastor who paraphrases this verse. He says, all of us who look forward to His coming, stay ready. With the glistening purity of Jesus' life as a model for your own. Jesus is saying, if you're a friend of Jesus, if you're in a relationship with Jesus, then you have a hope that's unshakable. And someday, you're going to be with Jesus. You'll be as He is, and there'll be no more sin, no more death, no more pain. And we have that to look forward to. And as a result of that hope, it should motivate us to live day by day, continually pursuing a life of holiness, purity, a life that looks like Christ when we sin as we will, because we will not be done with that until we stand for Christ. But when we sin, we practice repentance and confession. We trust in Jesus who said, I am just and faithful to forgive you of your sin. And we trust in Him. And we continue pursuing a life of holiness. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we should have an endless pursuit of holiness. And I pray that today you would be confident in your salvation if you are in Christ. And that you would see that the only place to put your hope is in Jesus. And the fact that one day you will stand before Him complete. You will stand before Him complete that day. And that's good news and a hope that we can all bank on. If you are not in Christ this morning, that's a hope that you can have. As I said earlier, it's as simple as crying out to God, trusting in Him, believing that He lived and died and rose from the grave and, and, and proclaiming that He is the Lord of your life. Turn to Him today. Trust in Him today. Rest in Jesus today. He is a good Savior, and you can trust Him. Let's pray. God, we love You, and we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for the richness of Your mercy. As we read in Ephesians, we can rip one layer of mercy off, and there's a whole other layer of mercy. It's this lavishness of grace that You're pouring on us. Help us to know that there's nothing that we need to do to earn Your love, and there's nothing that we need to do to sustain it. We simply need to just rest in You and trust You and follow You. I pray, Lord, that You would give us just a clear understanding of that Gospel truth. That we would leave here with whatever was weighing on our shoulders this morning. That we'd leave here a little lighter because of this Gospel news. Lord, we love You and we thank You. As we prepare to come to your table this morning, we thank you for this symbol that you've given us. And the bread and the juice that reflects you and the sacrifice that you paid. As we partake of this as a family, pray, Lord, that you'd be glorified and that we would be renewed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to the Mission Church Las Vegas podcast. Be sure to check out MissionLasVegas.com to learn more about us and to find more sermons like this. We hope to see you next week. You are loved, you're equipped, and you're sent. You are now entering your mission field.